right beside us tailgating, and one of them had been tailgating in that same spot for 35 years. And he said, y'all not did Nebraska. And that was the highest compliment they could have paid the Georgia fans because it's something we've been talking about on the podcast for six months is how many people are going to bring. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say we brought 40,000 people there. You're listening to episode 98 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. Hey there, my name is Scott Duvall, and I am joined today by my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller. This is the preview podcast for the Samford, that's with an M, the Samford game. But before the three of us jump into breaking down what Georgia needs to do to quickly vanquish the Bulldogs from Birmingham, Alabama, we just can't quit talking about that Notre Dame victory last week. Will and Tony are back from Indiana and wanted to add to their quick instant analysis podcast that we published just a few hours after the game ended. So we jump into that first, and then we get into what the dogs need to do to avoid the big letdown game, which seemed to bite them a couple of occasions last year in 2016. And lastly, we make our picks for some of the other big SEC games and national games of interest at the end of this podcast. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get started. We typically sit down in person in front of real microphones on our preview podcast every week. However, not one of us had power at our homes the other day because Hurricane Irma was blowing through Athens. So Will ventured back to his parents' condo that we recorded at a couple weeks ago because it actually had power. And so we did this call via Skype. I say all that to let you know that the audio quality is less than stellar at times. So just kind of a little heads up on that. But nevertheless, it's a pretty entertaining episode. So without further ado, here's Will to kick us off. I come to you live. You might be able to tell from the refrigerator brewing behind me and the slight familiar hollow of my parents' place because I am out of power. My parents in East Athens have power in the midst of Irma right now. I in five points have no power and I'm here with Scott Duvall and Tony Waller. You guys don't have power. Well, Tony, you actually are prepared and you have a generator, but Scott, you are in transit. So you have an excuse. I have no excuse, but the point is it's Monday night and none of us have power. I was about to say, I just have the tailgate generator. As I told Will a few minutes ago, I have uh I have plenty of bourbon, enough gasoline to keep the uh, DVD player and refrigerator going, so I'm kind of good. <laughs> well, that is good. I, uh, like Will said, I am in transit. We moved out of our temporary condo yesterday. We were supposed to move out today, but I happened to watch the weather and said, you know what? Yesterday, <laughs> Sunday might be a better day to move out, which it was. And so we're staying at our friend's house, which thankfully they have a huge house, a uh, basement and uh we have five dogs with us, and we're, we have five kids because those friends of ours are stuck in Chicago because they went to the Bulldogs game and the Falcons game. And so we're battening down the hatches with no power, with five children and five animals. In other words, uh, if this podcast goes long enough, Scott will have no emergency services available for him, his family, and all those dogs. <laughs> so let's go very late. That's tonight. correct. That's correct. <laughs> so, uh, so are your friends going to make it? It's just funny because there were a lot of people. I talked to UGA Carrie. She was one of the people that took a lot of extra money to stay throughout the day on Sunday in Chicago. She ended up making it back. But I do think a lot of those people that thought they were going to leave on Monday because they were going to stay for that Falcons-Bears game, which, by the way, was not nearly exciting enough of a game to stay for. <laughs> they barely won. Right. But uh, for all those people that Is came that back. Is that an NFL game? Yeah, that's the yes. That's the that's – the, that's, that's You could have stopped at that. Yeah, that's the – that's the league where they disclose the player salaries. 
Um, okay. And uh, but so the point, required to disclose depth charts. Yes, yes, exactly. They are so required. Weird. I know some yeah, of those so people. Weird. Um, but yeah, so uh, so I, anyone that I guess tried to make it back on Monday uh, are probably still in the Chicago land area. But we made it back. Tony, we made it back because we flew back on Sunday, so we made it back. Also, we did Indianapolis. We didn't do that Chicago business. When we did our little post game, Tony, to be honest with you, as you listeners could probably be able to tell, it'd been a long day of tailgating. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) It was a long day of tailgating. And we got back to the car, and I'm still kind of groggy from the game, and my voice is gone, and the alcohol I'd been drinking all day. And Tony's like, hey, let's do the podcast now. And I was like, wait, now? And next thing I knew, it was recording. So so I apologize to anyone for who, who heard that. We obviously did not get into that much detail. So Tony, uh, I'll start us off a couple days out, take away from the experience. First off, let's start off the field, just the experience of having Notre Dame there and having so having so many Georgia fans uh, at, uh, under the Golden Dome. Well, it's a great time. And I, I, we'd be remiss without thanking Scott for getting it turned around so quick, considering... <laughs> I did that at one fifteen in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was 12.30 when we were recording it. But, you know, the, the most interesting thing about it to me, Will, um, and the greatest compliment, and kind of what I was aiming for, hoping for as a Georgia fan, yeah, you know, we had those guys right beside us tailgating, and one of them had been tailgating in that same spot for 35 years. And he said, "Y'all out did Nebraska," and that was the highest compliment they could have paid the Georgia fans because it's something we've been talking about on the podcast for six months. Is how many people are going to bring? And I don't think it's an overstatement to say we brought 40,000 people there. And that—that's the people that were inside the stadium. I had a chance to rewatch the game. Flutie and Trico talked about that incessantly, how many Georgia fans were there. Um, and it was an incredible scene. And the great part about it is that, you know, Will, we had, we had a plan all along of, you know, eschewing the big UGA tailgate. Nothing wrong with that. But we just wanted to, to get the Notre Dame experience. We went to a great restaurant early in the morning where we were the only Georgia people in there. And then we went and found a, a parking space r- relatively close to, or right beside campus, actually, and, and it was mostly uh, Notre Dame people. But when you got on campus to go around, the, you know, the the library, which which is where you see Touchdown Jesus, the Gold Dome, the chapel, uh, and some of the other sites, it was just, it was kind of, it was pretty obvious how many Georgia people were going to be there. And Will, I'd be interested to know, you know, I sat in the Georgia section, I sat two seats over from the Redcoats. You sat over in the Notre Dame section, as did some of our friends. And you know, they were all like, hey, it was mostly Georgia people. And that was kind of your experience too, right, Will? <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of Georgia people around me. It was definitely, I was on the other side of the same because that one, the side underneath the scoreboard was almost, that was the heavy, heavy Georgia section. I think there were probably a few Notre Dame fans sprinkled in there, but that was the heavy Georgia section. My section, my specific section was, was I was like a little bit to the left of actually their student section, the one that was actually the one place that was actually making a little bit of noise. It is worth noting I could still hear the Georgia band above them <laughs> on the the other side of the stadium. Uh, to be fair, it's a bowl, so that is how sound travels. But nevertheless, uh, you could hear them uh, uh, pretty clearly out there. Uh, but I'll say a couple things on that. One, and this is something I think we want to remember, uh, not that Georgia fans are ever bad about this, but something that's worth remembering in a couple of years, every single person I met in that Notre Dame fan, people we just ran into, the, the waitresses at the place where we had breakfast, random people you run into, Notre Dame fans were princes. Like, like they were wonderful people. Every single person that we came across, I couldn't have uh, felt more welcome. I, I had my Midwestern card in my back pocket if I needed it to be like, hey, so, you know, 
I'm not like these people. I'm an Illinoisan. I never needed to use it. Everyone was so nice to everybody. I think that's something to keep in mind when Notre Dame, which I'm sure they will not send nearly as many people to Athens in a couple of years as as Georgia uh, sent to Notre Dame. But people they were could not have been more welcoming as someone that lived in New York for 13 years. I can assure you that is not always the case. So I uh, I thought that was pretty terrific. But yeah, uh, I think it was unquestioned. I also heard something similar from a few people uh, as you did, Tony, to say that Georgia outdid Nebraska. I think they were blown away by it. It's funny there was a on the Notre Dame uh, uh, Nation blog. I was they, they did a they did a post the day after the game. They were obviously a little frustrated by the loss, but they really felt like it was a big enough thing what Georgia did invading kind of invading Notre Dame Stadium that they needed to do a hey let's not get after Notre Dame fans for selling their their seats. Let's not let let's, let's understand why that might be and let's not all just say oh how terrible this is. And at a certain level, you just look at it from a purely never minding just economic, but if you look at it from a per, economic uh, an economic perspective, a you you paid however much this ticket. You a Georgia fans willing to pay you nine to ten times that price. You could go for you take it. You take it. That's I mean, hard. Yeah, I mean, you'd be a fool not to take it. Now again, now it'd be different if like I, I feel like if you if you're particularly if you're a casual fan or you're like us. Obviously, we are on a Georgia podcast. We are very big Georgia fans. I, I think that uh, if one of us did that for a game here uh, in Athens, we'd give it, we'd receive heat for it, and I think justifiably so. But if you are a regular, if you're just like a, hey, I like going to games. I want Notre Dame to win, but you like, listen, we spent some time in South Bend. It is a lovely city, but there are some areas of South Bend that uh, are going through some difficult times. So the idea that you would not be able to uh, to profit off that is another thing. And frankly, this was another thing that I thought the post got across really well. Notre Dame fans should be very honored about this. Like the Georgia fans don't travel like this to. You know, Vanderbilt. I mean, they travel well, but this was clearly a trip that every Georgia fan knew the minute on the schedule. I want to try to make this trip, which is an honor of Notre Dame and something I think that they should be proud of. So I, I thought it was really cool. Every fan loves this when their team, I felt pride as someone that's only, that, that doesn't have the experience that you guys do as a Georgia fan. I found it legitimately like I was proud of of not only how many people showed, but I feel like they really represented well. And like maybe this is a good transition into the on-field stuff. It clearly made a difference in the game. I think uh, the players said it after the game. Uh, Coach Smart said it after the game. Clearly, that was the case. Now, Scott, you watched the game while we uh, were there. Tony said we watched it and said they they kept commenting on. Certainly, it felt to us while the game was going on. Wow, the biggest story of this game is how many Georgia fans are here. Did it play that way on television? I think it did. The interesting part for me was kind of the laugh that I had with a couple of buddies of mine that morning when I saw them at soccer practice over at uh, Oconee Veterans Park. It, it almost felt like, oh, you're one, you're, you're someone like me. You didn't go to Chicago. We thought everybody was at Chicago checking Facebook updates, Instagram updates, Twitter updates. I mean, I thought I was the only person who didn't attend. And to answer your question, it did look big. On TV, uh, I was with a big watch group. Uh, we had our kids over there, and everybody was hushing people up, trying to hear what Tariko and Flutie were saying when they were kind of uh, amazed with the amount of people there. And you could just kind of see it just dotted around, and then it got bigger, and then we would go and check Facebook and see these private videos that people had sent. The biggest impression on me, and I didn't see this till after the game, was the Krypton fanfare at the beginning of the fourth quarter, and all the lights came on. It's almost like all the Georgia fans finally showed themselves when that came on. And that almost gave me chills just watching it 
on my phone. And, uh, I mean, that I think definitely helped with the pace of play and the desire. And you, know, you could just kind of feel it coming through that this was, this, this was a little bit different than any other, uh, away game. Cause, you know, I know the three of us, we kind of warned, like said, is this going to be like an old miss trip? You know, first away game of the year. It absolutely wasn't. It just felt that way. And I think that really to help you kind of go into the play on the field, the biggest guy that stood out that's not named Davin Bellamy or Lorenzo Carter was J.R. Reed. Yeah, I think I, I'm glad you brought him up because I, I tweeted uh, something about J.R. earlier. Man, what a get. Are you kidding me? I mean, he, he Tulsa had him, y'all. Think about that. He was all over the place. He had at least three tackles on the edge where if Wimbush gets by him, it's 25 yards. And yep. he – he stayed home. He did, he did everything you ask of that guy playing the star out there where he stays home. Uh, he has both lateral speed and forward speed. That he, I mean, Brandon Wibush said, I mean, I don't know if you read some of his post-game comments. He's like, we were just really impressed with their speed. You know, because they're big, athletic, and fast. And that there's a lot of memes out about SEC speed out there. But this is, you, you talk about Carter and Bellamy, too. This is the reason I thought we were going to have a special defense and particularly with our uh, linebacker play and after I read in there, even though he's, you know, I guess technically a back, but it's just really incredible that in what translated even better on TV than it did in the stadium. And, and will, uh, you, you, if you disagree with this, that's fine, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's just how much it looked like they were pulling things out of the kitchen sink, everything short of double passes Notre Dame did <laughs> to, to try to free up space and they just couldn't do it. I feel like Winbush didn't play poorly. I feel like he, you can see, I like that spin move he pulled off at one point. That was kind of fancy. Yeah. Like, you know, so he's not a bad player, but they were, there was just nothing that he didn't have a lot of room. He didn't have a lot of time. The receivers didn't have a lot of room and the running backs just couldn't get anything going. And that was, it was fine. Like the first half, I thought Georgia's defense played pretty well in the first half. It was really the second half, and particularly Bellamy and Carter, that really, that really just impressed so much. And remember, let's not forget so many of those Carters and Bellamy plays, including obviously the key Bellamy plays. That was not a blitz. That was a regular four-man rush. That was just beating his man. I felt bad for the poor Notre Dame offensive lineman who, after the game, said this was my fault. We lost this game, and that. And I, I you always feel bad a when uh, when a guy feels like that when uh, like a kid feels that way, but two. I mean, that was happening all game. Well, let me add, that guy was the second team All American preseason. Yes, exactly, exactly. And like that was happening all game. And, and you know, it's funny, I texted you during the game, uh, Tony, at one point because, you know, Georgia was down by three and it was frustrating, even in the first half, where I think before the defense really stepped it up. Because it felt like they should be up more. And it felt, it felt like they should be up. It felt like they, Georgia was clearly the better team. And it wasn't even so much that I felt like the, the, the game planning was wrong. I thought particularly defensively, the game planning was, uh, was pretty sharp from the beginning. But I, it really felt like this is, whenever we talk about, uh, are we going to Georgia this up? Is one of those things going to happen? This felt like one of those games where for the first half, you're worried because Georgia clearly looked like, like the better team, but was like, there'd be a penalty here. There'd be a little mistake here. The one real, we can talk about from a little bit to me, the only real major mistake that from made was not falling on that ball. I think that was a key play. Take away that play. I think that first half looks a little bit different, but uh, on the whole, you know, Notre Dame, I think, is better than they were last year, but it's still not a great team. And, you know, we, we talked a little about how if, no, if Georgia is going to be what they need to be, they need, these are the games where they clearly need to be seen as a better team. They were the better team. I think they won by one and it felt tight. 
But I will say that as I don't think Georgia played their best game, but it was so clear how much better they were that I feel like it's a really good sign moving forward. Yeah, I was fine with Georgia winning by one because my wife won our pool. That's true. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you know there were easily seven, ten points left on the board uh, with the dropped touchdown or presumably touchdown pass by Hardman, and then the missed field goal. But you know, one of the things I I was looking out for as we went back, if I went back and watched replay, was I wanted to in particular see our offensive line play. And I've been saying for for a month that that Notre Dame's defensive front is probably the second best we'll face behind Auburn's, and I'm not convinced they're not the best. You know, we didn't have the kind of production we, we would have liked to have seen, but we had a number of long runs out of Swift, Michelle, and Chubb. I was not disappointed. And, you know, I, I've been saying all along, Fromm's not one of these kids who gets flustered, and he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't juice the ball. You know, I, I think I, we probably could quibble about the interception being also a mistake because he did telegraph that pretty badly. Um, but, yeah, you're right. He, if he jumps on that ball, he probably recovers it. Instead, uh, Notre Dame ends up with uh, uh, the ball and getting points out of it. And by the way, I was going to go back today before the power went out and look. I'm pretty sure all but six of our opponent's points on the season have come off turnovers inside the 40 yard line. That's a good sign. stunning, right? <laughs> That's a good sign. That's I mean, we, sign. I mean, we were only giving up, what, 14 and a half? Let's see. Am I doing the math right? 14 and a half points a game, but um, only six points have come off of, of drives that started outside the 40 yard line. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. Yeah, that works out pretty well. You know, you know, I'm obviously I'm I'm still I'll remain a little bit of a skeptic on Fromm as I was kind of after the App State game. Yeah. But that said, that Wims pass was a good pass. It was well caught. It, it, we, you talked last week about when we had a little argument about uh, whether that was a great pass or it wasn't a great pass against App State. That Wims pass, only he could have caught that ball. And it was a great catch. It was a great catch. But only, he's the only person that could have caught that ball. And it turned out to basically be the game-winning throw. Art Scott, I can hear you hopping up and down. Talk about Godwin. <laughs> I thought that that catch, I think it was Bernie Dog that asked the question on Twitter if A.J. Green's catch against Colorado was better than that. They, they're eerily similar. I mean, it was almost in the same spot of the end zone and the same way he caught it. But I responded kind of bluntly, like, well, yeah, of course Godwin's catch is better because we beat Notre Dame and we lost to a bad Colorado team back in 2010. Or else that play would have been remembered by, you know, in, in Georgia lore. And, you know, that's one thing where in past years you think like, well, Georgia loses these close games like this. You know, I always think back to the, I think it was 2003, the Tyson Browning screen pass that went 94 yards in Baton Rouge and the place came unglued. Well, the place where I was watching it came unglued because it was in Baton Rouge, but that was one of those plays that would have gone down in Georgia lore that's now forgotten. And the only reason the AJ green catch still being played is because it was such an amazing catch, but I was worried that such a, a great catch would have kind of gone by the wayside. And so that's where pulling out that victory finally in those big games where you, if Georgia finds a way to win and doesn't kind of fold their tent, like they have done recently, which got coach Rick fired. And, you know, which we saw a little bit last year, save the Missouri and North Carolina game. So, yeah, definitely the catch. I mean, I, I think that there's a great picture that's kind of circulated on Twitter already. Uh, hopefully the photographer will actually get some uh, some payment for it because that thing is going to be printed up and put it in every Georgia bookstore you can find. Another thing that, that occurs to me is that we also had the opportunity to intercept a ball inside the 30-yard line, and the ball just, like, skittered around. And that was only – you hate to say it's a poor play because it just happened so fast, but – that that was a game-breaking moment. He intercepts that ball there. 
Um, he had a lot of run room, and if he if he scores there, I think it was Walker, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Walker. I, I'm glad you remember the name. But once you said, it, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure it's Walker. But that would have been amazing. And you know, kind of to loop this loop this back to the original point, it was never not loud when Georgia did something. And uh, I, I saw a couple of people sniping about um, George fans chanting UGA during the alma mater from Notre Dame. And somebody showed oh, up and was like, <laughs> uh, so, so the students stayed, and give them credit, they did stay. Uh, the students absolutely stayed to sing their alma mater um, at, the, at the end of the game, which is a tradition there. And we were chanting UGA. Georgia fans were chanting UGA because <laughs> whatever. And somebody, a, a Notre Dame fan shut that down and was like, you want quiet during the stadium when that came. Period. It's just that simple. One thing I wanted to kind of touch on, uh, something we've talked a lot about, and maybe I've maybe obsessed over a little bit more than everybody else, is the two things, both involving Coach Smart. One, needing to see improvement over the things that we got frustrated by last year, which, frankly, I think we've clearly seen. I think you can make an argument about some of the play calling, particularly in the first half. But I think part of that, too, is they're not getting a lot of offensive line push up the middle. Clearly, you, they're, they're able to get – if they can get some space outside, they're, 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 get, they're, they're getting a little creative to do that. We saw Swift have his big run, and uh, Chubb had a big one, too. And Michelle got a little frustrated a couple of times, but he had some nice runs, too. But they're not getting the push up the middle, so they're having to get a little bit more creative. I think clearly defensively you're seeing – them get a little bit more cre- uh, creative, and I think because they have the skill to do it. But I have to say, one other thing I kind of enjoy—we've talked about this a lot—is when Coach Smart is more com- is comfortable to become less Saban Junior. And one of the things that I like about Kirby Smart, and I liked when he was at Alabama, is. There is emotion on that sideline. There mm-hmm. He has absolute yeah. emotion, not just getting up in players' faces. And 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 to me, you know, when uh, when he uh, when there were some of those guys, I think he got in. Uh, he got he got with Carter a couple of times. He got with Bellamy a couple of times. But like you know, I remember that that great uh, that great meme from the Alabama championship game that they won, where Kirby you see Kirby like come running across the middle of the field in front of a stoic Saban. And of course, people that didn't know who he was were like, "Crazy Alabama coach goes crazy in front of Saban." We're like, "No, that's Kirby Smart." That's Literally, the assistant head coach. That's like a real person. That's not. He's not just like a funny meme guy. But one of the things I really like about Next safety meet robot. Yes, exactly. Yes. But one of the things I, I enjoy about Kirby and is an, is another data point in my. Eventually, once he gets it going, he will be able to be more himself. Is the way that he handles himself. How excited he gets. How in the how into it he gets. To see the joy. My favorite thing that happened after Bellamy makes that play. If you watch the sideline. I watched them. I was watching uh, the highlights of the game a second time. You see, there's a coach. I could not tell who it was, but there's a coach that's chasing after Kirby to like say, "Okay, here's what we got to do now." Like trying to stay like very Alabama on message after after Bellamy get, get, yeah, get, after the Bellamy makes that play and it's clearly won the game. There's a coach running after him with like a clipboard. He's trying to show him something, and Kirby is paying him no mind because he is jumping up and down and screaming. And, and and to me, that is something that I like, and I'm sure the players like. So as much as you know, I complain. I think with good reason about how Kirby some of his. I have to be more like uh, and say, but then we don't do depth charts and media is bad and so on. I have to say that part of Kirby is something I really like and is something that I think will serve him well moving forward. He spent 15 seconds or 20 seconds I saw on TV high-fiving the fans after the game. You would never see Saban do something like that. Fans, yeah, are, fans are a distraction he, to Saban. He went all the way around. He went around with the, with the, with the team, too. And, um, you know, Scott, one of the things I was, I was about to say is I, 
it is telling to me that this team has bought in and the coaches have better focus than they had last year. And as fast as Notre Dame ran, because they, they went hurry up every time they got a first down. Um, we only had to call a timeout one time because we were a little unsure what we were doing and on defense. We were inside the five yard line. That this is the first time in two, 16 years that we hadn't blown timeouts because we had somebody on that was the wrong, we had the wrong formation, the wrong setup. We had that guy didn't know what to do. And we can talk about the penalties. Some of them were aggression penalties, and some were not great calls, and some of them were bad penalties. But I, I it's, and we'll, we'll talk about Sanford in a minute. But this is this is starting to feel like what we wanted to get out of yeah. a Kirby Smart hire, right? It look a great defense and going, and people have been saying great defense going eleven to one when the East fixes a lot of problems, but. Having a great defense and looking like we know what we're doing and executing a game plan, particularly defensively. And I think offensively, if you think about that, the game plan probably was all along, other than a drop, a bad exchange, which was a bad decision on Fromm, both in the exchange and trying to pick the, the punt, uh, the fumble up and, uh, you know, a couple other little things. I don't think the offensive game plan was bad. There were some play calls. I was like, what are we doing here? Uh, for, for the love of God, put Stetson Bennett in so there's a possibility of throwing the ball or allow Michelle to throw the ball on the wild dog. Let's just, let's just stop it. it. It doesn't work. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but, you know, beyond that, um, you you got to go somewhere to nitpick on coaching in preparation for this game. All told, it was one of the more enjoyable experiences I've had. Tony, thank you for just organizing the whole thing and letting me uh, kind of tag along uh, with your crew. It was a really fun crew and a great time, and uh, I'll say that uh, uh, I even got a bunch of points with my mother uh, for taking all the photos of campus inside the Golden Dome and, uh, and uh, grabbing a lot of Notre Dame literature for my Catholic mother. Uh, it, it, it worked out very well. I really couldn't have had a more fun time, and it really is – this is something unique to that something that all fan bases want to have and you don't get the opportunity to very often is to have your team it felt good as a fan of a team and Scott, you must have felt this way even from Athens, just to see like those are my people, and like they we are de- like the thing that you want is dedication. Like, listen, there are people out there that are diehard Jacksonville Jaguar fans, and it is miserable enough to be a Jacksonville Jaguar fan. But to me, one of the hardest things, and this is how I always felt as an Arizona Cardinals fan all these years, is not only did my team stink, but I was the only one that cared that they stunk, <laughs> and, and I wanted to have this collective experience where I had all of these people where I feel like it's a not a, you know, not to use the dumb term bulldog nation or, or sort of a nation type of thing, but you want to feel like people are as passionate about this and, 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 and see it as just a collective thing in a, in a divided world. And Scott, I'm not going to talk about politics because I'm in too good of a mood, <laughs> but uh, in a divided world, it is, uh, it was a, it's, we look for these things that can kind of uh, uh, bring us together. And it was a really, really cool experience. I was very lucky that I got to be there. Well, I preach to my two boys not to be front runners of teams. Like they have friends that wear Steph Curry jerseys or, you know, LeBron jerseys or, you know, maybe they're fans of the Broncos or something a couple of years ago. And I'm, I'm very adamant. Like you're going to be a Hawks fan, an Atlanta United fan, a Braves fan, Falcons fan, a Georgia fan, because you're right. Will, even though this is just week two of the college football season, 2017, we have no idea how the season is going to turn out, but you're exactly right. It feels good it feels like you're a part of something even all the way back here in Athens it feels like you were almost a part of that 40,000 uh group that made it up there all those road dogs that went up there and who knows in about eight years from now I might have 
been able to find out to weave a story to say I was there. <laughs> I, I feel comfortable. You will. I mean, there's a like a yeah, like Brian Williams. I'll be like Brian Williams. Seven hundred thousand people yeah, exactly. dream spot into home. So yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess now it's hard to it's hard to come down from as exciting as that was and as great of experience uh, uh, as it was uh, to come down to talking about Sanford. But that said, let, oh, by the way, one brief note from last week's games. How about Texas A&M struggling with Nickel State? Does that make anybody feel better? But there was 14-14 going into the fourth quarter. I probably shouldn't make anybody feel better because I know how much fire Kevin Sumlin is. Some of it quite ugly, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, but, man. Well, was it, you or Scott, I sent the screen cap of that, too. That was me. I, know yeah. I sent the one of the two of you. Okay. Yeah. I think I sent the, like, been there or something. Yeah, because that uh, – but, but to me, that sort of uh, – um, it's hard to, we should never take a game like that for granted because after Nickel State, but certainly after that excitement, it's a come down fan game for every fan. So it's got to be a come down to, uh, game for the players. They're so high off that experience and they come back and they have a game, uh, a night game, none, uh, no less, uh, against Sanford. Think about this. For all of the people that didn't go to Notre Dame, I remember when that game finished, I turned to my kids and even my wife, who I think, I think Jennifer is going to go to the game also and my daughter too. I was like, hey, we get to get in the Sanford and yeah, it's against Sam Ford, but that place is going to be rocking at seven o'clock PM against basically like a one double a school an FCS school, at least for about two hours. And then everybody's going to empty out. But I was like, it's going to be exciting, you know? And, and I, I couldn't be happier now that that game does kick off at seven because it's going to be, we're going to have the lights for the fourth quarter. It, it's going to be loud, louder than it would be at noon. So, Hey, I think for all those people that didn't go to Notre Dame, we cannot wait to get in the Sanford Stadium at 7 p.m. on Saturday. Well, and one of the things that, uh, you know, I alluded to this a few minutes ago, this is the opportunity for us to see the next step in the improvement, which is can we maintain focus? Are, are, is, are we as a team, are we, uh, is our coaching staff going to be able to get the team in the right mindset to take care of, of Sanford? And I'm not saying that, you know, we talked about Nickel State, but the you know, Sanford has scored a lot of points against uh, with the Kansas State and North Alabama. You know, we go in there and, and fill apart around with them in the first half. You lose some of the goodwill you gained in the past two weeks. So, some. Yeah, some. Some. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I, you know, I think the, one of the things that, that we all – I think we all, if you listen to us talk up to this point, I'll go ahead and say it. We're all expecting a letdown game. But if we don't have a letdown game, we come in there and just do what we ought to do against Sanford on paper – well, that's a different thing. It's a horse of a different color. And I guess that leads us to the question, what do we want to see? Like, is one thing, for what it's worth, Sanford, again, they're not, they're not too bad. They beat Kansas State. Uh, they beat West Alabama. <clears throat> they seem to score a lot of points. But obviously, this is a game you feel like you're going to be able to, to, to take these guys pretty well. If this doesn't turn out to be a Sanford game, and if it's more like uh, Charleston Southern, say, from a couple of years ago, what we expect it to be, what are some of the things that you'd like to see them work on? Would you want to see a little Ramsey? Would you want to see uh, uh, see some of uh, maybe Holofield gets more run in the backfield? Maybe Swift gets a little bit more uh, run the outfield in the backfield. Is there anything specific you'd like to see for a t- from a team that theoretically should be able to hone some stuff before the SEC season starts? You know what I'd like to see is to get a push up the middle, running you know right behind left guard, right guard. You know maybe having a tackle pull because it seems like. All the teams are stacking the box. I remember that one of the one of our last drives, we counted Notre Dame had nine guys 
in the box and they knew we were going to try to run it and we didn't get anywhere. So Samford as well is going to say, Hey, it's still a freshman quarterback and we're going to stack the box with seven, eight guys. And I want to see our big guys be able to move them to where we're getting five, six, seven yards of carry, maybe even have Chubb or Michelle be able to break one like they have in the past, right up a left guard or something, you know, with a, with a trap play or something. That's one of the biggest things I want to see. And then in addition to that, I want to see some, you know, short passing game kind of get started that opens, opens some more things up just to try to practice that because the week after is going to be when it really hits the fan again, you're opening up SEC play. So that's what I want to see. You know, Will, for me, I think what I want to see is a lot of experience with our uh, second and third string offensive line, uh, that the game is so in hand that, uh, you know, basically we're, we're doing everything we can to run the clock out late. Um, and if we have a shot for a shutout, even with our third string guys, I'd like to see that on the defensive side. What I do not want to see, of course, is having to, having to run the clock out with, uh, you know, we're running the clock out with five minutes left. That's not going to happen. I keep trying to tell myself, it's okay. You don't have to be dark, Tony. It's fine. But yeah, that, that's not going to happen. It's an FCS team, Tony, and I know that yeah we bring up nickels, but you saw it. maybe they have maybe have a knack for you know scaring SEC teams. But look, I mean this is Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. It's not going to happen. It'll be over by halftime. Way over. Scott, Scott, the whole world is different. Your your son, your your Mr. Happy Sunshine, and I'm I'm scared to death. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I will say that it, it's worth noting that. You know, one of the things that was exciting about the Notre Dame game is the same thing that was exciting about the Appalachian State game, which are the things that were so concerning about last season. They haven't been entirely fixed, and this team, I, for the record, I'm not ready to call this team a uh, a playoff contender, uh, but they certainly seem, we can talk maybe when we do picks about the rest of the SEC East and how much they're kind of struggling a little bit, and how. but I'll say that the things that were frustrating about this team last year and the things that worried us coming into this year, it's only two games so we don't have all the answers, but certainly signs are pointing toward the positive. The thing, like this, is going in the right direction. And one of the things that you would think another test to pass would be take care of Samford the way you're supposed to take care of Samford. That would be something that they did not do last year, and this year they could do if they think about the, the questions that we've gotten answered. One, can you play, can you take, uh, can you play an experienced team with a coaching staff that you sure they've got less talent than you, but they're a coaching staff that's been together a long time and certainly has a plan, knows what they're doing and is very geeked up to try to beat you. Can you take care of that? Yes, they took care of that with ease. Two, can you go on the road, uh, and, 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 and in that kind of environment, play a team that clearly has a lot of talent and handle that with now a freshman quarterback? Bam, that's now taken care of too. The next thing and really the, obviously the last thing until the SEC starts is can you just Take care of business and give everybody what they want and send this all home, particularly because it's a night game. It'd be nice to get home at halftime. Send this all home at, an, at, a, at a normal time. Uh, if that, that is, while I think that we're not in any danger of losing this game, that's something I'd like to see answered uh, in a positive direction this game. I, I would agree. Show up, do what you're supposed to do, go home. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Finish the drill. No, that's old. Sorry, we don't do that anymore. Yeah, we're, we're talking, we're talking <laughs> yeah. the crap out of the day. Yeah, yeah we don't. We don't do that. <laughs> the day is freaking attacked. The drill is not finished, but the day is attacked. <laughs> well, I do think it's worth mentioning. We're going to have a third straight night home game. Um, we're now LSU, y'all. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Get used to it. It's the new normal. We have uh, Mississippi State, 7 o'clock, ESPN. 
the national game. It's crazy. It's absolutely That'll crazy. I mean, remember, I have I have flights at the, at, in the morning out of Atlanta, both after the day after San Francisco and the day after Mississippi State game. All I went, last year, I was so irritated by all the noon games. <laughs> this year, I actually won a couple of noon games and a loss. It is not. Will, to me. Thank you so much for taking one for the team there. Yeah, I, well, that's, that's what I'm here for. Um, okay, so uh, predictions to me. I, I this feels like a game. You, if you can win, if they win by thirty, I feel like that's enough for me. I feel so snotty saying that, but uh, uh, win by thirty, I feel like that's enough. Uh, and uh, barring you know being up forty to nothing and you give up a couple touchdown lates because everyone wants to go home. I'll take covering the spread thirty four and a half, um, but I think thirty feels right. Um, anything less than 14, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, we're going to have a, a different tenor in our podcast Sunday night. You know, I think I saw a stat that the sec is 22 and five so far this year against the spread, which that's kind of amazing. Uh, Georgia covered this past week. And I think that you said the number is 34 and a half. Oh, that's what it was uh, yesterday. Then we'll we'll go with that. I, I think it's going to be something like thirty-eight to three, thirty-eight to six. So it's going to be right around that number. All right. All right. Well. Okay. So there's there's Sanford. Uh, next week's show will probably. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to be in Los Angeles for next week's show, so we will have to see uh, how that'll work. But uh, uh, I'm I'm glad we're in a positive, happy place. I really. I'm just. It was. I'm feeling good about being a Georgia fan right now, though almost as good as I am. Feeling about being Illinois Fighting Illini fan. Suck at Western Kentucky. Suck at Western Kentucky. Drive for this week. Drive for ten. Well, should we should we do that? Do you have do you have the picks ready for us, Tony? Well, so this kind of transition right into our pick them because Friday night Illinois travels to South Florida. And um, huh. remember when we talked about how the Big Ten has this thing this year where they're having more games on Friday, but they would never ha- ask an actual team like Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State to host that, but they will happily host Illinois. Illinois has two Friday night home games in three <laughs> over the next two weeks. So this uh, it, this is one of them. I am pleased by by obviously Illinois' two and zero start. South Florida's had a really weird start to the season. They played a week early, then they've had, now they've had essentially had uh, two weeks off uh, because they did not play last week. If you ask them to travel to Champaign, that might be a little harder. They're 15-point favorites in this game. Frankly, I am playing with house money when it comes to Illinois right now, so I do not think they're going to beat South Florida, but you know what? I'm picking them anyway. Let it ride. Gentlemen, go Illini. When you play you play three card poker and uh, you, you hit you hit two trips in a row. You leave the table. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm taking South Florida. Well, I've I've picked uh, Illinois the past two weeks, and I figure it's worked out both weeks. So I'm going to stick with Will and pick uh, the Illini as well. Keep the, keep this logic when they play at Ohio State in November. Okay, hey, they may win I'll, that I'll game that. if Barrett's still the quarterback. They may win that game actually. Yeah, that's actually true. So sneaky, interesting game: Louisiana Lafayette. At Texas A&M. It's a sad state of affairs for Mr. Sumlin that it is kind of a more interesting game. It's weird because this kind of position for a coach to be in is always fraught and always difficult. And I think that's what we saw what his his wife put on social media, some of the, some of the really disgusting things that she's gotten. Uh, it's a bad situation all around. It's funny. I was trying to think of what 
Oh, we haven't had any firings yet this year. The Missouri fired the defensive coordinator. That was a nice touch. <laughs> Two weeks into the season, we haven't had any firings this year. Uh, this is the they're twenty three and a half point favorites in Lafayette. Is a kind of an interesting team. If this team is even close, it could get real hectic for for him and them there. Uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm with you, Tony. I think it's going to be close, but A&M is just too desperate to lose. Yeah, and two things about all the nonsense that happened. First off, nearly every fan base in college football has those fans. And second off, damn, don't be those fans. Don't please. be those fans. Don't be, those, just, don't be that person. Don't be that human being. For crying yeah, out don't be that human. And I, you know what? I applaud them. They're taking criminal action, potential criminal action. Yeah. They should. Yeah. Absolutely should. Yeah. All right, so much less interesting, Purdue at Missouri. Do at Missouri. God, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't like that game because Purdue is my least favorite Big Ten team uh, <laughs> out there. They're just. It's just kind of like I think it was when Georgia was like uh, forced to play them in bowl games. It seemed like eight years in a row. Um, in fact, I was at that first bowl game of the millennium down in Tampa, where uh, we were down twenty-five points, similar to the the Patriots and against the Falcons, and uh, Georgia came back with Quincy Carter. And Randy McMichael and uh, ended up beating uh, Drew Brees in his last collegiate game. Um, I don't know why that's relevant, but uh, you know it is what it is. And uh, Missouri, gosh, they firing their D coordinator after giving up a obscene amount of points to Missouri State the first week, and then getting clobbered by South Carolina. I, I'm thinking that, uh, gosh, it, that I don't know. I think Missouri comes back and, and wins an ugly one. Yeah, I'm picking Missouri too. Though Purdue, this game makes me nervous. Like before the season, this would have felt like a comfortable Missouri win. Uh, Purdue's been feisty, man. They look good against Louisville. I think that speaks a little bit more about Louisville than it does a Purdue. I'm still going to take Missouri, but I'm antsy about this one. Give me the Boilermakers. Yes, give me the Boilermakers. All right, the Fighting Mike Bobos, Colorado State heads into Alabama. So interestingly, the tailgate. Some boy showed up in the Colorado State shirt. Which, I saw that with a bunch of Notre Dame people, which <laughs> I think is just the, she had the right color shirt. But she was impressed that we all knew who their coach was without actually thinking about that. Still, <laughs> uh, so I'm picking Alabama. Yeah, this is this is definitely one of those. If Bobo can, if he can keep this game not close but respectable for like a half or so, that will push up his reputation a little bit more. Uh, because I think people are happy. Bobo is one of those assistants that people are getting a little bit excited about over the next. Uh, could maybe bump up in the next couple of years if he can make a run. This is the type of exposure game. There is really no lose for him uh, in this game, other than the fact that you know he'll lose the game. Yeah, I'm sure like two, maybe three defensive or special teams touchdowns will occur and Colorado State will keep it close in the first quarter and then it'll just be a, a runaway and, you know, like 40 points or something spread. I don't know, but it, it's not a game that I know every Georgia fan is like saying, oh, watch that. I have no interest in this game. LSU, Mississippi State. <sighs> I LSU is <laughs> only a six and a half point favorite in this game, which is crazy. That is pretty crazy. Uh, I know that there's still some question, and I know the Mississippi State has scored some points, but I feel like this is a much more comfortable than that LSU victory. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Give me LSU and all those points. I'm trying to think of who I want to win this game and how I want it to happen because with Mississippi State coming into Athens next week. Do I want him to be blown out and like kind of down or do I want him to get a big victory and be kind of overconfident? I'm not sure. So whichever way that the two of y'all think that I should choose, that's what I'm going to do. Let's definitely pick something that's going to make sure we stay ahead of him in the standings, Tony. 
Well, then you should pick Mississippi State. <laughs> yes, please pick. Okay, I'll pick. I'll pick Mississippi State then. <laughs> All right, um, Clemson, Louisville, in Louisville, Papa John Stadium. Go, Big Papa. <laughs> yeah, again, three and a half points. Uh-uh. Louisville did. Louisville really struggled against Purdue and did not look great last year either. I think Clemson wipes them out in this game. Yep, yeah, beats them by fifty. Fifty is a big number, but beats them by a bunch. And and that's going to be so good because they'll have those close ups of Bobby Petrino looking like he has a collar around his neck and smelling something funny. I'm going to say Clemson big. <laughs> Bobby Trino's looked my oh sorry I flashback to something uh, Mississippi <laughs> at California holy cow can oh you, my gosh could you come up with two more disparate fan bases <laughs> this game is in Berkeley too <laughs> what wow this game is so weird my God <laughs> are they going to protest are they I don't gonna, even know what are to they going to protest. That? You know what? At this point, Scott, life is a protest. So, yeah, yeah. But you started that, man. Like, I'm taking Mississippi. This is the question about Mississippi this year: is how motivated they're going to be because there is no bowl game. Then this is the time where you get the answer to that question. I'm gonna actually take Cal on this game. Wow. I mean, I've got I've got no idea on this. I haven't seen any old Miss games this year and I haven't watched Cal so I'm just going to go on historical references which neither team has much of a historical reference and I'm just going to say Ole Miss because of the desperation and the fact they probably just don't care and will throw some flea flickers and some reverses and who knows maybe they'll come up but uh, the couple touchdown win alright um, Kentucky South Carolina the little what I like to call the little third week of the season SEC East battle um South Carolina with a seven point seven and a half point favorite home. You, you know me. I'm up on South Carolina, man. I'm up on them. I, I feel like that North Carolina State. That's a big win. Like people were up on that, were high on that team. They looked impressive again last week. I'm taking South Carolina. I I still don't think South Carolina is has passed uh, Tennessee or Florida as the major challenger in the East, but they're approaching them. Kentucky's played at Southern Miss. And then they struggled last week against Eastern Kentucky. They pulled out the win in the end, but you know, there was uh, tweets coming along the, the Twitter sphere saying like, Hey, go flip it on to Eastern Kentucky. I think that South Carolina is a little bit better than all of us anticipated. And I expect them to stay pretty much close to undefeated by the time they play Georgia. I think South Carolina is going to roll on this one. I agree with Scott. Um, I think South Carolina actually has passed Tennessee at this point. And Carolina wins probably pretty big. Which gets us our last game, guys. Tennessee, Florida is currently scheduled uh, for Gainesville. Florida only catching five points as a favorite there at home. I feel like Florida, a team that obviously still has some offensive issues, their defense is great. And I think if we learned anything from Tennessee, the Tennessee-Georgia Tech game, I think you can run on Tennessee. <laughs> so I think Florida will be able to do that. I think they cover and win uh, by 10 or even tip by 14. This is one of those games where, I mean, Tennessee to me is, and is becoming more and more unlikable. I don't know what they're doing with the trash can that they walk around <laughs> on the sideline with. I, I don't understand that. Butch Jones is – very unlikable, not, not like Bobby Petrino unlikable, but you know, Paul Johnson unlikable, you know, just the, you, you don't feel like he knows really what he's doing. His, his smugness is kind of 
you know, off putting throat unlikable. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't understand his motivational tactics. It's like he, it's like he grabs a book off the shelf in the airport and reads a couple lines. And is like, I'm going to go with that. Um, I'm going to pull from Florida just cause I, I feel bad for the state of Florida right now and everything they've gone through. And I, you know, I'm, I'm going to put all of my, uh, prejudices aside of, about not liking the Gators. I'm going to pull for the Gators and hope they beat them pretty bad. Well, I'm not going as far as I'm rooting for Florida, but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a trash can and a trash town, I'm still picking Florida. I just don't buy Tennessee at all. Don't see it. Don't buy it. All right. Well, I'm glad we got this together. It was obviously we, we neither rain nor shine nor whatever all the other things, snow, slickers, ale, frogs, Nothing will stand in the way of us doing our appointment, making our appointed rounds and doing this podcast. Uh, guys, I'm, I, we all, I'm sorry we didn't get to do this in person. I drink a lot less bourbon uh, this time, but I'll remember this podcast a little bit more tomorrow than, uh, than I usually do. So, so that I got Which that is a good thing or a bad thing. Yes, One yeah, of the, the two. That's the question. But guys, uh, have a great week. And by the way, another shout out to our, our friends at the Chapel Bell. They actually have put out like a – they've got like a stats pack. Now, for, for each game, you, they've got like the, you go to the Chapel Bell site and the, the Chapel Bell curve site, excuse me, uh, Chapel Bell curve site, and you can go and you can find, they got like after every game, they're putting together a stats pack. I, I, I read it. I, I, I understand 50 to 75% of it, which is pretty good. And, I uh, language the words yes yes so uh but they they really do a great job i've been loving their podcast too they're they're you know i mean they're what this is really is i feel like we're encouraging them now until they start to get a little bit more popular and then it is a podcast war (laughs) it's funny i mentioned that i had a chance to meet nathan at the game because like i said i was right beside the the red coats and nathan uh is one of the two two guys that do that and uh it, he is, he's entirely too nice to have a podcast war with. More like a rumble. Let's do a rumble. We'll, we'll do a whole dance scene. We'll make it, we'll make it nice. Yeah, and Justin, the other guy on it, is equally is uh, affable and, uh, and nice, too. But th- these guys are uh, – I, I applaud them for coming up with a very unique niche. I think uh, it's going to be very useful and almost just one of those the publications that comes out that Georgia fans eventually will be expecting and looking forward to. Yeah, but seriously, guys, podcast war, podcast war. <laughs> Fine, we'll have a podcast war. Will feels a little bit like what Cheney and uh, Cheney said to Bush. I'm sorry, I'm yes, sorry, Scott. That was me. War. That was on me. That wasn't. That wasn't Will. That was on me. I'm not. Listen, I ne- I never rip George Bush on this podcast, just to be as clear as possible. It's, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, all right, guys, uh, have a uh, great one. We'll see you guys out there on Saturday. But until then, uh, you know, go dogs. Go dogs. And thanks so much for listening. If you want to reach out to our show, feel free to hit us up on Twitter at WSLS podcast. Should you listen to our podcast via iTunes or Apple podcasts, as they call it these days, please consider leaving us a rating and review. All reviews get read on air and we simply appreciate the feedback. We love being interactive and we love it when y'all are interactive with us. So that'll do it for this episode. We will be back on Sunday or Monday, probably Monday. Monday's a good guess, with a few post-game thoughts on the Samford game. And until then, we will see you on campus this weekend. Remember, it is a 7.30 kickoff. I think a couple times in the podcast I'd said 7 p.m., but y'all are pretty smart. Y'all know that it's at 7.30. But if you do show up at 7, at least you'll be early. But uh, that'll do it for this episode. Like I said, being redundant here, as always, go dogs.